We're going to continue our series this weekend entitled Friend of God, and we're in a mini-series in the midst of this series, walking through some of God's friends. And here's what I, I want to help you understand. We're going to spend, the two of us, me and you, we're going to spend eight weeks t- together going over some of God's closest friends. And here's what I already know. It's going to be a little redundant from time to time. And here's what you, if, if I were trying to sell you a car, uh, if I were selling you a Ferrari, you'd be impressed by the flash and speed of it. If I were trying to sell you a Honda Accord, a car that can go hundreds of thousands of miles or a, or a Toyota Tundra, and go hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles, if I opened up the hood of the Ferrari, you'd be shocked and awed. If I open up the hood of the Accord or the Tundra, on, on its merit, you might not be as impressed, right? Because it's not as flashy. But it will last much longer than the Ferrari. Okay, so there are going to be some moments as I walk you through some of the things that God's friends teach us. You'll be like, eh, eh. Okay, don't do that. All right? In your heart, don't do that. We are building something. Preston, what are we building? Best friends between God and man. That's what we're trying to build out, all right? And today we're talking about one of my heroes, Abraham. And the reason Abraham is one of my heroes is because as a young boy, when I got to Abraham's story, the first time I read through scripture from cover to cover, 13 years old, I realized something through Abraham. And here's what I realized. Number one, God made a huge mistake. Now I say that tongue in cheek, okay? God makes no mistakes. But here's what I mean. If God did not want man, let me personalize it. If God didn't want that 13-year-old little boy to be best friends with him, he never would have put Abraham's story in scripture. Because when you see the relationship Abraham had with God, here's what this 13-year-old boy did. Oh, sweet mother of Jesus. You mean I can have this with the God of the universe? Oh, this is a mistake. You should have never told me I could have this because I'm going to hold you to this. I'm going to spend my life becoming this. Now, I am being tongue-in-cheek. Please don't hit me up and say, Preston, God never makes mistakes. I know, okay? Just being a little silly to draw attention to the fact that if God didn't want all of us to become best friends with him, he wouldn't have placed in the book so many how-to manuals using some of his best friends. And Abraham teaches us a lot about friendship with God. I'm going to give you five things, and I'm going to start at the deep end of the pool. This was the close last night, but I'm actually just going to start here at the very beginning so we can get it over with. Because how many of us, when we were younger, we had to go to the doctor to get a shot. How many of us were more wired to put it off as long as possible towards the end of the meeting with the doctor, okay? How many of us like to get it over with at the beginning? Okay, we're gonna get the hardest part over first, all right? Point number one, what does Abraham teach us about friendship with God? That God gives his closest friends the biggest tests. If I would have asked you, how many want to be best friends with God? I did it last night. Most raised their hand. But once you learn what the price of admission is. If I were to ask the same question 
typically not nearly as many hands go up. Because one of the things that Abraham is most famous for is Isaac and being willing to sacrifice him. If you want to be one of God's closest friends, you better be ready for some of God's hardest tests. Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn there. This is a, a very short summary of what happened with Isaac and Abraham, starting at verse 17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Remember this, all friendships are tested, but only the true friendships pass the test. All relationships are going to be tested in a fallen world, but only the true ones pass. Now, I understand that some look at this story of Abraham and God asking Abraham to sacrifice the son of the promise, Isaac, as very morbid and, and even leads to questions like, what kind of a sick freak promises a child to a man and woman and then says, you know what I wanna do? I want you to kill him for me. It seems kind of disgusting, doesn't it? Okay, number one, God knew the boy was never going to die. God knows the end from the beginning. So he knew before the test even was begun that he was never going to ask for the life of the boy all the way to the point of death. It was a test. So Preston, God was playing with Abraham? No, 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 he was testing him. Why would he do that? Well, a couple of reasons. First, obviously, to test him. But second, I think God did it for us. Okay, be very honest with me. Don't get all fakey churchy on me, okay? Be very honest. I know it's sad that I have to say that as a disclaimer. How many have ever been angered by the fact that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son? Let's put them up high so we know we're, we're in good company, okay? Wanna know why I think God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? So that later in the story, when a daddy was willing to send his son all the way to the point of death, that all of us would be overwhelmed by it. The fact that we get angry at God about asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is actually, in my opinion, a theological and intimate and relational setup that when we get to the New Testament and God sends Jesus to die for our sins, as angry as we might be about Abraham being asked to sac sacrifice Isaac, we should be completely undone and overwhelmed when we see the only father to sacrifice his son for us. You want sexy? That's sexy. That is theologically nasty. It was a setup. Of course it was to test Abraham, but it was also to show us when a father lays down his son, it's a really, really big deal. 
And I wonder if when we get to heaven and we're like, God, why'd you do that whole Abraham? I wonder if God will be like, I got you on that one. You were really mad at me. Then when you got to the rest of the book, it helped you understand what a really big deal it is. I was never going to sacrifice Isaac. I was testing my best friend and he passed with flying colors. God's hardest tests are reserved for God's closest friends. So the next time God asks you to do something that you can't stand, remember, it's not just a test. God isn't giving you a difficult test just to test you. He's also doing it because he trusts you. He trusts his friends. And if he asks you to take a difficult test, take it as a compliment. He's letting you know. The harder the test, the closer we are. God's friends take God's hardest tests. My son Tyler, my oldest son, middle child, uh, hates school. I'm not trying to bust chuck him, but he hates school. And here's his, his whole thing. I don't need to know these things for life. And he's kind of my little attorney mind. And so he'll say, he'll give me like a, a physics problem and I'll go, daddy, do you know the answer to this equation? And what is he doing? <laughs> he's trying to prove his point. I don't need to know this stuff. And I'm trying to help him understand life is filled with hard tests you don't want to take. And school teaches you to train your brain to embrace tests. The sooner you embrace God's hardest tests, the sooner you will experience intimacy with God. Don't run from it. Run towards it. If God asks you to do something really hard this year, don't run away from it. Run right towards it because it will lead to being closer to him. While a believer who hates God's tests can be a follower of Jesus, they cannot be a friend of God. Here's the second thing that Abraham teaches us about friendship with God. God's friends know God is with them. I got to be careful with this point because it's points like this that I get a little too swaggery, if that's a word. God's friends know God is with them. God's children know God is for them. God's friends, however, know God is with them. Proverbs 18, 24 talks about the fact that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Newsflash, one of the reasons I believe God snuck that into Proverbs is to send the message that's the kind of friend he desires to be with us. A friend who sticks closer than even blood does. I believe this is God's heart as it relates to relationship with us. But the depth of friendship is measured by commitment, not by closeness. A friend who knows everything about you is worthless if they aren't present for the big things that happen to you. Years ago, something happened with the church. Somebody uh, did something, uh, not really allowed to talk about it, and it was done towards me, and it got really serious really fast. I called several of my friends in Dallas, and within two hours, three of my friends, Tom Lane, one of our apostolic elders, Galen Lachey, one of our elders, 
and Tim Ross, my best friend and our teaching pastor, literally got on an airplane and they were here on the ground to fight with me. Okay, this is what friends do. In the day of social media, if you put a bunch of stuff out there about you, people feel like they know you. And when they feel like they know you, they feel like they're close to you. So every once in a while, like if somebody listened to the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of stuff I've put out there through sermons and all the personal stories I've told, every once in a while, hear, hear someone say this, I feel like I already know you. And they say that the first time we meet. Because what are they saying? I know a lot about you because I've watched you. Does that make us friends? No. The stories I tell, the big ones in my life, involve my friends showing up for me. It's one thing to know a lot about someone. It's another thing to always be there for someone. God's friends know they have settled in their heart. God is with me. And they don't walk into a room and brag about it. God is with me. They just quietly know it. They know it. I want to show you something in Abraham's life that is absolutely capital G gangster. Okay? This is just, this is one of those moments that is shocking to me. It shows a measure of confidence in his best friend that is breathtaking, in my opinion. God's friends consistently enjoy God's presence and God consistently enjoys his friend's presence. But what does this look like? The more present God is, the more comfortably confident you are. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse eight. Backstory here. Abraham and his uh, nephew Lot have gotten very, very wealthy. Lot got wealthy because of Abram. And their herds and flocks had gotten so big that they could no longer occupy the same territory together. They needed to split up. And it had gotten so bad so fast because they had gotten so big so fast that the people in their two respective camps were fighting amongst themselves about the territory. So watch what happens, all right? Verse eight, finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. Can no, notice this, he doesn't step into the conflict being all crazy. He's squelching the crazy that the herdsmen are perpetuating. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. I'm gonna come back to that. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we will separate. This is unreal. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Okay, hit the pause button here. Let's imagine you had started a company that was an umbrella for multiple other companies, other integrated auxiliaries, all right? And many of these other companies within the overall company became very, very successful, and you were about to sell off the company, and your nephew was there from the beginning, but as an intern. No offense to interns, okay? We all start as one, but Lot was an intern. He didn't get rich because he was a dude. He got rich because God was with Abram. Make no mistake. Now I want you to imagine you start the company and you say to your nephew, 
who was your first hire, but it was an intern. You say, hey, I'm gonna let you pick from all the auxiliaries, the companies within the company, whichever are your favorites, I'll let you pick the three you prefer most. Would you ever talk like that? Don't act like you were Jesus. No, you wouldn't. You started that company. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into that company. And you're grateful for Lot. But Lot didn't do what you did. It is absolutely mind-blowing to me that Abram says to Lot, take your pick. Only someone who knows God is with them talks like that. Only someone who knows God is with them says when an agent tries to hijack the buying of a building, says, God is God, and there is no other. And God is with us, and it will be okay. When you know God is with you, you just kind of chill a little bit more than everybody else. Abram was chilling. <laughs> Lot takes a look, and he found what he believed to be the sexiest piece of property. Remember what it was? Sodom. Hit the pause button right there. Can I just tell you one of the things I've learned in life? That just because you want something doesn't mean it's right. So many times I wanted what I wanted, then got what I wanted, and after I got what I wanted, I realized I did not want what I wanted. Lot picks Sodom. Watch what happens next, though. Skip to verse 14. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, remember, best friends, here they are. God waits for Lot to walk off, and God goes, now I want to talk to you. Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. I hope you get the picture here. Lot made his pick. God waits for Lot to walk off and then says to his best friend, can I tell you a little something? Do a little 360 degree turn for me. Take a look at all the land you can see. Look at all that. I'm giving it all to you. Question. Did that little 360-degree circle include the land Lot just picked for himself? It did, because God said, I'm giving all of it to you. When you know God is with you, you can let others go first. The first shall be last, and the last will eventually be first. Because when God's with you, it doesn't matter if it looks like they made the best pick. If I had to choose between the best land without God and the worst land with God, my choice was made a long time ago. I pick God. God's friends, no. God is with me. We'll get to David, and there's so much redundancy between God's friends because he's trying to teach us. When David went out to Goliath, did he act like he was going out by himself? No. What did he say? I've seen my God. 
take out the lion and the bear. And today, I'll see my God do it to you too. God's friends know God is with them. Here's the third thing Abraham teaches us about friendship with God. God makes room for blunt honesty from his friends. This is where it gets a little fun. Look in Genesis 15. This is another shocking moment between God and one of his best friends, Abraham. Genesis 15, verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you. In other words, no one will be able to lay a hand on you. And your reward will be great. Preston's paraphrase, I'm going to render you speechless by what I do for you and what I give to you. Watch this. Okay, now God just promised, put yourself in Abram's shoes. God just promised no one can lay a hand on you and you're going to get the world's richest reward. Watch Abram's response. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Okay, let's talk about this for a sec. Because some, some of us just like to read through scripture and just chunk it out, and we don't really ever immerse ourselves in the story. Put yourself in Abram's shoes. God just said, listen, I'm going to do amazing things for you. How do you think? Be honest with me. Don't get all churchy-churchy on me. Be honest. How many of us would honestly think that if God just told someone, he's going to give them the world, essentially? The blessing is going to render him speechless. And the person responded going, yeah, that's all great, but you know what you haven't given me? How many of us think deep down that it would make sense if God struck that person dead? Okay, I used to. All right. I totally used to. Like, how can a human talk like that to God? Here's the answer. They were best friends. They had cultivated intimate friendship. And Abram wasn't whining. He was providing his perspective. See, honesty isn't griping. It's just me giving my perspective. Doesn't mean it's right. It's just the way I see it. God loves blunt honesty from his friends. Want to know why? Because so much time is wasted in relationship when we fake it. Have you ever been around somebody who wanted to be your friend and the way they rolled was kind of like this? Everything is awesome all of the time. Nothing is ever wrong. I can't be friends with somebody like that. Here's why. Because we live in a fallen world and that is impossible. That cannot be true. The only way that that could seem to be true is if you're living in a false reality. Yeah, things are great. I don't walk around complaining all the time. But every once in a while, I take a hit. Okay, question. Can we be friends? If every time we talk, I have to make it sound like everything is awesome. In my book, we cannot be friends. If I can't be honest about where I am, I cannot be friends with you. This is why I think God loves blunt honesty, because it's essential for intimate friendship. Now, if you thought God should strike the man down 
who responds by saying, yeah, it's great that you're promising all this stuff, but what about the one thing you haven't given me? If you thought God should strike that man down, I want to show you what God actually does in verses four and five. Then the Lord said to Abram, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Notice, no exclamation. God isn't yelling. He isn't screaming. He isn't frustrated. He's providing his perspective. And God's perspective involves knowing the end from the beginning. Verse five, then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, this is a beautiful moment between best friends. Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. I love that part right there. Another way I believe this shows they were best friends. A little bit of sarcasm in there. Go ahead and count all the stars. Dot, dot, dot. If you can. I think he flared his nostrils when he said that, by the way. Watch, that's how many descendants you will have. Here's the picture. One of God's best friends said, God, I think it's amazing that you've promised me all of these things. But my heart's desire is to have a son. What good is all of that stuff if I don't have a son to pass it on to? And God doesn't yell and scream. He doesn't sulk in disappointment in his friend. It's as though he puts his arm around his best friend and says, let's go for a walk real quick. Come outside your tent. Look up into the sky. You see all those stars? Don't worry, you can't count them all. There are too many for your limited brain to comprehend. I'm not just promising you a son. I've promised you that many descendants, and I will do what I promise to do. Some of us are so convinced that God is always this close to striking us that I actually think it's one of the biggest reasons why we don't experience intimacy with him. Most of us said, Seems to me like Abram deserved to be smacked upside the head. He missed that moment. No, he didn't. He was being honest about what he was feeling. He wasn't griping. He was being honest. And God responded. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who said, can I be honest with you? <laughs> I don't want to ruin your relationships. But every time someone says that to me, you know what I think? We've been talking for an hour. Is this the first time you're choosing to be honest with me? <laughs> Can I be honest with you? That's not a question that intimate friends ever ask one another. Why? Because they've been bluntly honest with one another since the beginning. Andy Stanley said years ago, you can measure the strength of a relationship by the weight of truth the relationship can handle. God loves blunt honesty from and with his friends. Now, before we move to the next one, let me just say, because some of you are like, ooh, if I'm friends with God, I can be bluntly honest about how I feel all the time. I'm going to take this new little weapon out for a spin. Okay, slow your roll there, Tonto, because I will tell you from experience. 
Conversations with God are never one-sided. So if you choose to start a conversation with God using blunt honesty, never be surprised if he ends the conversation with even more blunt honesty. I can't tell you how many times I started, a little bit like King David, what was me, God? I'm bothered about this thing. He lets me go on and on. And then he comes into the conversation with more blunt honesty and goes, Preston, you know what your real problem is? I don't know that I want to know. But I do. Will you tell me? Okay, blunt honesty is not a parlor trick to get God to do whatever you want. It's a way of communicating intimately between friends. All right? Here's the fourth thing. God's friends are relentless in prayer. God's friends are relentless in prayer. Look in chapter 18. And before I read it to you, let me just give you kind of my perspective, a decent definition of prayer. Prayer is the most intimate form of communication between man and God. All right? Prayer is a conversation between man and God. And it was meant to be the most intimate form of communication between man and God. Genesis 18, verse 16, little backstory. Two angels and the Lord show up to visit Abraham. Verse 16 picks up. Then the men, the two angels, and the Lord got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. The reason they had come was to inspect Sodom. The Lord even says, I've come to see if it's as bad as everyone's saying it is. I've come to destroy the city if it's as bad as they say. Now, God already knew. But this is a fascinating moment between two best friends. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Watch these words. Listen to what the Lord says. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? Preston's paraphrase. Should I hide my plan from one of my best friends? Should I not tell him what I'm about to do? Can you imagine if you were best friends with a sitting president of the United States? And before the president made a big decision, the president picked up the phone and called you and said, hey, we're best friends. I just want to tell you what I'm about to do before I do it. Would you be honored by that? Sure you would. Can you even wrap your mind around the fact that God, the God of the universe, would ever look at a human and say, I'm about to do something, and we're such good friends. I'm not going to hide it from you. I'm going to tell you about it before I do it. Would anybody ever like to be in that situation? I would. I would love it if he trusted me enough to tell me what he was about to do before he did it. Abraham shows us this is what God does with his friends. Wouldn't it be amazing, parent? Let me talk to the moms. Wouldn't it be amazing, mom, if you develop such a friendship with God that God started to talk to you about your children and what he created them to do decades before he anointed them to do it. Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be like an extra superpower, wouldn't it? It'd also give you a measure of grace when they were frustrating you. This is what God does with his friends. Should I hide my plan from my friend Abraham? Look in verse 22. 
The two angels turned and headed back toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Powerful words. The Lord had come to do something in and with Sodom, but he took a little extra time with his best friend before he did it. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing. Destroying the righteous along with the wicked? Why, you, should be, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Do you see the way he's talking to the God of the universe? He's calling him out theologically. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Now, I don't have the time to read the whole story, so I'll just let you know how it goes. Remember, prayer is the most intimate form of communication between man and God. This is a picture of prayer. See, this is part of our Achilles heel for us as it relates to intimate fellowship with God. Many of us don't see prayer like this. I don't get all holier than thou when I go into my prayer closet to pray. I actually take my shoes off every time. Not just because it's holy ground, but because it's more comfortable. I'm gonna stay a while. We're gonna have a conversation this is what prayer is. It's not gearing up spiritually and no. It's like when my wife calls and wants to talk about her day. I go right in and say, you know what's really getting me right now? You know what's really scaring me right now? You know what's really confusing me right now? We have a conversation. Now, Abraham jumps into this conversation with the Lord. And he says, okay, so you came to take out Sodom. Question. Is it right for you to treat the righteous and the unrighteous the exact same? Surely not. So as friends, will you spare the city if you find 50? This is kind of bold. Then before we get to 45, Abram says, hey, just to establish, I know you're God and I am not. Abram says, I realize I'm dust and ash. He realized what he was doing was very special and he was being very cautious. He was not being brazen and bold. He said, I'm dust and ash. But since we're in this conversation, what if you found 45? Would you spare the city? God said, yes. He said, what if you found 40? God said, yes. Abram said, what if you found 30? The Lord said, yes. What if you found 20? The Lord said, yes. Abram goes, what if you found 10? And the Lord said, yes. Okay, now, some people, in my opinion, wrongly teach this passage, and they say, Abram got God to change his mind. Because they were friends, he got God to change his mind. I do not believe that at all. Here's why I don't believe that. God knew 
before the conversation started how many righteous were actually in Sodom. And there were less than 10 the whole time. All he was doing was teaching us what it's like to be best friends with God. Preston, I'm okay with a little give and take. Now notice they're not talking about a multi-million dollar mansion. Well, God, since you said yes to this house, why don't we just bump it up an extra quarter milli? Okay. Well, since you said yes to that, why don't we bump it up a half a milli? That's not the conversation. Abraham is fighting for a nation to be given more time to turn towards his best friend. Here's another way to say it. This is how God interacts with his best friend when they are asking according to his will, not according to their desires. But this is how God interacts with his friends. Romans 12.2 says to be faithful in prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says pray in the spirit on all occasions. Colossians 4.2 says devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray continually. God's friends are relentless in prayer. So if we are not, the question is, why not? Because this is what friends do. We are unrelenting. Here's the last point. What does Abraham teach us about friendship with God? God's friends do a lot of walking. I started this last week. Enoch, scripture says, walked in close fellowship with God. Very important words. God's friends do a lot of walking with God. Think about how amazing this is, though. If God's friends can walk with him, that therefore means God walks with his friends. Don't act like this is not a big deal. You mean to tell me? that this 13-year-old boy had a shot to cultivate friendship with the God of the universe in such a way that God would walk with him? If I told you the God of the universe walks with me, would you find that to be a big deal? Yes or no? Okay. Do you see it as a big deal that he can walk with you? Not just that you can walk with them. If I can walk with God, it means God walks with me. Now, I want to kind of drop a little bit of a bomb in this little conversation theologically. Here's why. God has been walking with his human friends since his very first one. But there are some theologians out there that have kind of taken a slant a perspective of God walking with man, starting with Adam, that I believe is actually incorrect. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, here's what some theologians say. They say, the Bible never says Adam walked with God or God walked with Adam. And that's true. It's actually true. But I kind of want to show you, Scripture does tell us that most likely they did it a lot. Genesis 3 verse 8, after the fall, what does the Bible say? That Adam and Eve heard the sound 
of God walking in the garden. Correct? Let me help you understand why I believe this proves. It doesn't just show, it proves that God walked with his best friends starting with the first one. How would they have known what the sound of God walking sounded like if they hadn't heard it before? Do we see in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, do we see that a sound starts happening because God's walking in the garden and Adam and Eve freak out and start running around going, what's happening right now? We don't know if it sounded like an earthquake. We don't know if it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. We don't know if it sounded like a whisper. But they're not freaking out about it, are they? It very matter-of-factly says they heard the sound. Okay, let me help you understand what this actually means, okay? I've got two things right here that you cannot see that I want you to try and guess based off the sound what these two things are. Are you ready? Okay, here's the first one. What? Keys. I'm making sure you can't see. How did you know? It's not a trick question. You've heard it before. On a scale of one to 10, how many of you were a 10 in confidence that these were keys? Put your hand up. Okay, and why were you so confident that you knew what this was? Not just that you've heard it before, you've heard it many times. That's why the second you heard it, you were like, oh, keys. This, I believe, is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's why it's so matter of fact to say, oh, they heard the sound, because they'd heard it so many times before. Here's another one just to drive the point home. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, do I say what I think that is? It's Mother's Day, no. What does that sound like? Let's just go with carbonated beverage, right? How did you know? Because you've heard it thousands of times before. Want to know? What I believe God, one of God's highest goals in his relationship with you is that you walk with him so much that when he walks into the room, your spiritual ears and heart are so dialed in and attuned that you go, that's the sound. He just walked in. This is what best friends do. When my best friends call me on my phone, they each have a ringtone to send me a message. Your best friend is calling you. There's a sound that is synonymous when my friends reach out to me. We were never, in my opinion, meant to be merely children of God. The reason we were given the right to be children of God 
with all of my heart, I believe, is so that we could take the ultimate step of becoming best friends with God. And best friends walk together. Now, I'm a little late, but I got to give this, I got to give this to a couple of you, all right? We see this, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Notice, God doesn't tell him where he's going. How many of us get frustrated by this little fact? Yeah, the detail people. How come God didn't tell him where he was headed? Because for many of us, when God tells us the place, the first thing we do is pick up the pace. And God doesn't sprint with his friends, he walks with his friends. Why? Because God's favorite part of getting somewhere isn't the place. It's the person he goes there with. You. God loves to talk to his friends so much that he sets the pace of your race, not as an all-out sprint, but as a slow step by even slower step. But why does God move so slowly? It's simple. So the two of you can talk the whole way there. This is why Satan's, one of Satan's favorite weapons is hurry. If Satan can't stop you, he'll simply try and hurry you. Because Satan knows that we'll miss out on much of the conversation with God when we're running too fast. Here's the principle. You can't sprint and speak simultaneously. If you ask me, Preston, what is the number one thing I can do to most quickly speed up my friendship with God, here would be my answer. Slow down. Stop moving so fast that you miss out on what he's trying to say. Friends, walk. The next time you get angry with God because things seem to be moving too slowly, remind yourself, the reason the pace is so slow is because he wants to talk to his friend the whole way there. And so, God walks with his friends.